Well, today is about amazing grace. If you hadn't figured that out yet, but we want to talk to you today about amazing grace. And uh, I have um, challenged my staff today, literally, um, that we're going to all four preach to you. So get comfortable. Should be here a while. No. <laughs> They've worked very hard today um, to, to just share with you the truth about amazing grace. And so I want you to, to hear the backstory to this great song. It's one of the most famous hymns in the world. It's played even on uh, in movies. One of the reasons they can do that, by the way, is because it never actually speaks of Jesus Christ. Um, the interesting truth is the value of grace, the value of grace, ultimately at this level could only be attributed to him. And so John Newton, when he wrote this song, knew that. In 1736, an 11-year-old boy by the name of John Newton boarded a ship that would become his home for the next few years. His mother had died four years before of cancer, and his father was the captain of that sailing vessel, which was commissioned uh, by uh, his owners to capture and transport slaves uh, all throughout Europe. And Newton would learn much about seamanship from his father and much about the slave industry. Later, he decided to join the Royal Navy. And when he did, he became very disillusioned uh, by the Royal Navy because the conditions on the ship were so deplorable for him that he had to check, he had to leave and he defected. He literally just quit, which you can't really do when you join the Navy. You can't just quit whenever you want to, again, your brother Warren. Well, he just quit the Navy and so they eventually recaptured him. He was flogged and he was put in prison and his sentence was to serve some time as the lowest level seaman on a slave ship uh, that was owned by the Navy at the time. And so he actually was treated in his journal, he says he was treated worse than most slaves for a number of years because of the choices he had made. So it's an interesting start for him. He was finally rescued from that fate by a friend of his father's. Another captain of another vessel saw him in the condition he was in and said, you know, I, I would like to just have him on my ship. So the Navy gave him away um, and he became part of another uh, traveling vessel. But eventually he started his own business, buying and selling slaves. He was the captain of his own slave ship. Now you think about this. The song that we sing, Amazing Grace, we just sang the verses of it just now, um, was originally written by a guy who uh, trafficked in slavery. Um, John Newton um, was a captain hardened by years of life at the sea. Um, he, he worked in the slave industry, which if you think about this, means he did not value life like we know to value life. He could not value life and do the things he was doing to those slaves, right? It was a dramatic deal for him. So there was this moment in his life as a sea captain when a storm hit his ship that was so bad, he thought everyone, including himself, would perish. And on May the 10th in 1748, this giant storm came upon his ship and he had no answers. He couldn't solve the problem. He couldn't get out of the storm. There was no solution. He was sure he was going to die. And he began to reflect on his life like many of us. When you get in those life-threatening situations, your whole life kind of flashes before your eyes. Well, he remembered his childhood. And one of the things he remembered is before his mother had passed away, she used to take him to church. And there he learned about God and Jesus. And he hadn't thought about that in years. But in this massive storm that was about to destroy his ship and all the souls on board, he thought, you know, I might need to just turn to God. And he cried out to God. And he, his prayer was real simple. Think about this, how simple it is to get God to help you. He literally said, 
Lord, have mercy on us, as he cried out from the deck of his ship. Now he records in his journal that at the very moment he said that, the storm began to lessen and became weaker and weaker. And suddenly he knew he was going to be safe. But he also knew that was the moment of his turning to God and God turning to him. He calls it, in his uh, journal, he calls it the great deliverance. Isn't that cool? The great deliverance. Some of you have been greatly delivered in a magical moment by God. You have. Um, I remember when I was in the second grade, that happened for me. He says it was his great deliverance, and he says it was a life-changing deal for him. Now, um, he actually celebrated May the 10th, 1748, his spiritual birthday, every year after that. He celebrated it as the great deliverance in the moment of his conversion. And he began to change at that very moment. He started reading and studying his Bible, and he changed the behavior of how you would treat his own sailors, how he treated all the slaves. Everything began to change because the Word of God became part of his life. And God moved into his heart and softened him and changed him. And over the years, uh, by the way, the, the third stanza of the verse of, of uh, Amazing Grace says these words, and you'll, you'll think about it every time we sing it from now, and you'll think about this story, uh, about his conversion. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. That's the night he was saved. Tis grace has brought me safe thus far. You say the rest. And grace will... Lead me home. See, he understood that very night. That was a grace moment. God didn't owe him anything. He owed God a great debt, but yet God showed great favor to him in that moment. Well, from that time of his conversion, he began, uh, God began working in his heart, and he began to practice the Bible in his daily life. He actually decided to learn uh, the original languages, Hebrew and Greek, that the Bible are written in. And uh, he learned Latin so he could read some uh, books about the Bible. Later, he would marry and resign from sailing after an extended illness, and he would seek to become a minister. Now think about that. He was a sea captain, just a rough sea captain. Um, you got to think about the, the language and the life he had lived all his life on that sea since he was 11 years old. And he was a sea captain that God touched, and he said, you know what, I need to be a minister. I need to minister to people and change their lives. And so John Newton decided to do that. And he didn't have much uh, support, by the way, from his local parish and from the local ministers. But uh, John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church, and George Whitfield, the founder of uh, modern-day, at that time, modern-day Calvinism, uh, became his friends and became, became, began mentoring him and helped him get his first church. And guess what happened when he began to preach? His church boomed. They had to move walls. They had to build bigger buildings. They literally started having outdoor meetings because they couldn't get enough people uh, in his building. And he began, and you know what they wanted to hear? We want to hear that old crusty, salty, foul-mouthed captain that God changed. We want to hear him tell us about Jesus. And it filled the churches at that time. So he found these uh, found an opportunity to do that. Now, when he got into church... Um, he was disappointed with the music that was there. It was old to him. Um, the songs did not ring true uh, in, his, in his mind. They were not uh, helpful for his people to understand God with that music. And so he began writing hymns. And uh, he, wrote, he and a friend of his named William uh, Cowper, who was uh, a poet at the time, they wrote a hymnal of 150 hymns. Four of them are in your hymnal uh, in front of you today. Um, they wrote they wrote 150 hymns together, 
And uh, one of them is the song we want to talk to you about today called Amazing Grace. And that song has some great truth in it. The very first verse that we just sang, we want you to hear it this morning. So listen as these gentlemen present to you what it means to be wretched, lost, and blind. And then we'll share the story of grace with you. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. that grace can really only be understood when it's viewed through the eyes of someone who's desperate for it. You know, when you're raised in church, a church baby, as I was, uh, and as my kids are, you don't really think about how important that grace is because you already know you got it. But there are a lot of people out there that don't know how that works And I found myself now reflecting back on my life. I was that person for a really long time. Because see, I had a great life coming up. I had two parents who loved me. I was raised in this church. I was loved by my family, my friends. All that was great. But I still didn't find the cross to be fulfilling in myself. I didn't understand how that grace worked. I didn't understand the value in it. And that was the point that I became the wretch that the song Amazing Grace talks about. It says that that saved a wretch like me, and I spent a very large portion of my life not realizing that that was the person I would become. I got saved when I was six years old. Um, a lot of people look at me with a funny look when I tell them that because they say there's no way a six-year-old can understand the sanctity of salvation, but I would probably contend with you on that because I did. I accepted Christ at six years old. And... It was the most important decision of my life. I remember getting really, really excited after that first grade school day. And I ran to my grandmother, who I was staying with that afternoon, who's in the congregation today. And I said, Nan, I want to call my mom and tell her what happened today. And so I picked up that old dial phone that she had on the wall. And I called my mom at work. And I said, Mommy, I got saved today. And, of course, she's ecstatic. And everybody's happy. And it's great. Six years old. So we fast forward to around 14 and that's when I started really being interested in what the world had to, had to offer. Um, the, the mindset that I was in at that point is one of the main reasons that I'm in student ministry now. I remember it very clearly when the world started to get its hooks into me. And I began to really fall heavily into music. It, it became my outlet. Um, so at 14 years old, I, I joined a band. I started singing. And, and I completely left my roots of faith behind. It, it became unimportant to me anymore. And I ventured into something completely different with my life. So I played games and danced in and out of my my spiritual walk, the the church, this church, some other churches that I'd gotten involved in for a really long time. So we're going to fast forward to age 26. And at age 26, I had been married for the second time. I had had my first child. And... I was uh, I was heavily into uh, problems such as alcohol and, and things like that that were trying to fill the void that was in my life that I had left behind when I walked away from God the way I did. And I just didn't get it. I didn't understand why 
as successful as I thought I had been over the course of my life, why things weren't getting any better. Until one day I sat in this church, in that pew, and Stan gave a message that altered me. It altered the foundation of what I understood about grace. And so I came to this altar, to that knot, and I told God, I'm done fighting against you. I'm done running away from the calling you put on my life. You fast forward a little time after that, and oddly enough, here I am. I'm the student pastor at this church. I have the privilege of leading you guys in worship every week, and it's awesome. In Romans 7.24, it says, Oh, what a miserable wretch I am. Who will free me from this life dominated by sin and death? Now, if you don't understand this, the Apostle Paul wrote that. And we got to take a second to understand who the Apostle Paul was because the Apostle Paul was literally the epitome of what wretch stands for. Okay, because it can mean criminal. It can mean unhappy, undesirable. People you wouldn't want to take out to dinner. Okay, that was who the Apostle Paul was. He persecuted Christians. He killed Christians. He drug women behind chariots because he hated Christianity so much. And then one day, just like that knot was for me, one day, Jesus opened up the heavens and he said, hey, you got this all wrong. Let's get this on track. In a New Testament later, Paul literally has been the cornerstone of everything that we stand in this room and talk about every week. If it weren't for a wretch, the modern church never would have existed. And praise God for that grace. The next verse in Romans seven twenty-five it says, Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ. Who could save a wretch like me from an undesirable life of sin and death? Thank God. Amen? Thank God. It's in my Savior, Jesus Christ. The, the concept that I really want everybody to wrap their head around this morning is, I'm a father. Okay, I got two wonderful little kids, a little boy and a little girl who are my world. And I love them. And it doesn't matter what they do, what they break, who they hurt. They're my kids. And they're never going to stop being my kids. And I'm never going to stop loving them and supporting them and forgiving them. And the Word of God says... That our God's love and grace for us is infinitely more powerful than the way I feel for my children. Now that blows my mind. And if you're a parent in this room this morning, I'd venture to say it probably blows yours too because you know how much you love your children. But God loves us infinitely more than that. This is the tagline. God loves me in spite of me. God loves me in spite of the wretch that I am. We don't deserve it, but he freely gives it. And that's worth being excited about. Being lost is not being lost going somewhere. It's not a destination that you're trying to find. It's a way of life. It's, it's a darkness. It's, it's a feeling of helplessness and hope. And we all feel hopeless sometimes. Sometimes we feel like we're at the end of our rope. It grabs the rope and snatches it away from us. I was lost one time. I was lost for a really long time. 
in a church that said, if you do good and you do what you're supposed to do and you and you and you dot your eyes that everything's gonna be alright. But I figured out that that wasn't the case. When I was 14 years old, I had this little girl that, that showed up to school one day. She said, Justin, she said, I would love for you to go to church with me. And I'm like, no, nah, I'm good. I mean, I know that, that God is, he, he make it. And, he, and she says, Justin, I think you missed the point. And I said, no, I've always been taught that you have to do this and you have to be good and you have to do good for God to love you. And, I, and she said, Justin, that's not how it works. I said, well, that's how I've always been taught. And I know that God exists, and I know that I'm not where I'm supposed to be, so I'll, I'll get to it eventually. Well, one day, this little girl asked me, and I said, yeah, I'll go with you, but on my time. I'll, I'll pick a Sunday, and I'll come church with you. That Sunday, she showed up at my house, and she said, I'm not leaving until you go to church with me. And I was like, seriously? You've got to go with me. So I go, and I get dressed, and I go, and I hear a preacher preach on 17 inches. And he tells me that it's 17 inches from the top of my head to the center of my heart. And that I can know God in my head, in my heart, and then I'm in trouble. I'm telling you, it broke me. I knew that if I died that day, I was going to die and go to hell that day. For three days, I lived in terror about what I was going to do and how I was going to make it through the next three days because I knew that if I died, I was going to hell and I needed to get saved. My youth pastor, that uh, he used to be the youth pastor, his name was Josh Purvis. He led me through the prayer of what it meant to be saved. Jesus tells a story in Luke, and it's a parable of two, uh, the two sons, uh, one son, the younger son, his father, he said, Father, I, you owe me, and I really want my inheritance because got other things that I want to do in my life than what you want me to do. Father had a couple choices that he could have made here. He could have said no. He could have fought, uh, fussed and fought with him. But you know what he said? Okay. He put it down and gave his son. And he spent it on, on, on alcoholing and crazy women and partying and having fun. One day he wakes up and guess what? He's broke. He has nothing. He doesn't have anything to do. He, he has no money. He has nowhere to go because he's already forsaken his father. He winds up as a Jewish man feeding pigs. If anyone has ever been through the Old Testament, feeding pigs and being around pigs as a Jewish person was a very, very big no-no. He's sitting here feeding slop to these pigs one day and he so looks at this slop and he says, you know, I ought to get beside these pigs and eat the slop with them. And then he has a revelation. He said, you know, this is ridiculous. My father's servants don't live as bad as I do. I just need to go home. He said, I'll go home. I'll fall on my knees, grovel to my father and say, Dad, I won't be your son. You don't even have to act like I'm alive. I just want to serve you because Serving you is better than where I'm at right now. So he says, I'm going home. So he, t- he makes the long trek home. And his father, when he starts coming up to the house, his father's standing on the front porch and he sees his son coming. His, so- his father's faced with a couple more choices. His father could scream and yell for, for squandering all his money. 
his father could point and laugh at him and say, I told you so. You know what the father does? He runs out there and he grabs his son up in his arms. Before his son can say a single word, he says, don't worry about it. I love you. You're mine. You're always going to be mine. There's nothing that you can do that I'm not going to love you for. He tells his servants, he says, go get me some robes, go get me some rings, kill the fatty calf, because we're going to party. And Luke 15, 24, it says, for this son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now is found. So they begin to celebrate. Folks, I'm here to tell you, every time one of us comes back comes back to be with the Father, they have a phenomenal party in heaven. Every time. I was blind, but now I see. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Isaiah 35, verse 5. We walk in a way that we all think is right, that we see a right path. But the God who sees all things knows that to be a false idea and a false thought. We often blindly follow a crowd to what they think is right and what we see that they're doing as to be right. Or we maybe simply just say, no, I know how to rule my life. I know what to do and no one else can tell me how to do it. See, I once thought that was the right path, that I could see that right path, and I was following blindly. I thought to myself in a very law-based mindset, well, I'm not robbing anybody at gunpoint. I'm not killing anybody. I'm not committing murder. So I'm doing all right. I'm, I'm doing pretty good. See, I thought things like, you know, making money, having sex, driving fast, drifting, racing, just normal teenage outlaw, so to speak, was okay. And that was all right. That I would do enough good things and I'd be okay to outweigh some of my bad things. That the law would justify me. Thought that's how you did good in life. Thought that achieving those kind of goals would get you to a good place in life and would be okay for whatever your eternity may hold for you. Then God showed me I was blind. That I couldn't actually see anything at all. That when I would look out, really it was a tunnel vision of darkness. And I was completely surrounded in black. Didn't know anything at all of what I could see or what I was actually looking at. There was no light in my worldview at the time. I was, people call me a pessimist, but I, I keep telling them, no, I'm just a realist. So at the time, darkness and the pessimistic side of life is what I saw. And that was it. So I thought I was doing all right. God showed me that was to be false and showed me otherwise. So I wanted to just stay on that dark side. I didn't even want to see the light. I didn't want to move toward the light or any of that. I didn't want any of that. So I was blind. I did not see what I was looking at, even though I thought I did. See, in the original language of the Bible, when you look up blind, 
it leads you through a couple of definitions you have of blind, and it leads you to hardness, to look up into the word what hardness means in the original language. And I thought that was very interesting. It seems peculiar, peculiar to, to myself when I first saw it, and probably to some of you. So, but what it gets at is we have calluses that we build up spiritually and mentally to ourselves for things that we do that we think are okay. These calluses can cover our eyes spiritually. We don't see that light side. We don't see what is actually God's trying to show us and give to us. So they're over our eyes and they harden our heart. The calluses harden our heart as well. So we can't feel God, we can't hear God, and we definitely cannot see God and His presence and His light anymore. So what we, we have to let God remove these calluses so we can truly see what God is giving to us, what God's trying to show to us. But God has to remove that, but we have to be willing servants to do that. We have to obey that call. Paul was mentioned earlier, and I'm going to mention him again. He originally, before his, I'll say, traumatic conversion, he was known as Saul, his persecutor of Christians. He had things like scales fall from his eyes. And that's the way I like to picture it, because that's when you're lost, like Justin has talked about. You don't have sight. You're, you're like the blinders on the horses at like Mardi Gras or something of that sort. You see only what's ahead of you if you're seeing at all. And you really are not seeing, yet you, even though you do. God knows that to be true, that we are all blind and walk blind, blindly. So let God remove these calluses. Show the true light. You may like the dark side and you may like to stay there. But I'm telling you, as someone that's been on both sides of that fence, being on the light side, walking in the light, and being able to truly see life for what it is and truly see God's will is way more beneficial. So I ask that we open our eyes and let God remove those calluses from us so that we are no longer a blind culture in a blind world. Well, there's two groups of people in the building with us today. That includes all of us and everybody in the back and everybody in Children's Church. Either you once were lost, blind, and wretched, and far from God, and the grace of God has captured you, drawn you to it, and you've received Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you trust in Him, and you know exactly what John Newton meant when he said, I once was lost, once was blind, and now I see. And by the way, the, the truth is, Everybody in this room at one time was blind, everybody was wretched, and everybody was lost. A few, God has allowed most of us to see the revelation of the light that Cody was talking about, to experience what it means to be lost and found like the prodigal. Most of us have seen that, but some of you may not know. So the other group of people that would be in the room with us today are people that are still wretched, and as the pastors were speaking today, you were recognizing in your head, you know, that describes me. I am lost. Lost isn't a, a, a destination, by the way. It doesn't mean you don't know where you're going. It's a condition of your life. Everything you do will be lost if you don't find Christ. So you don't want to go out of this place today like that. You don't want to be lost. 
you sure don't want to be blind and you don't want to be a wretch. And the Bible says there's a way to solve that. It's by trusting Christ as your Lord and Savior, trusting in the amazing grace that can happen. And when John Newton wrote the song Amazing Grace, he was thinking of a verse from the Old Testament. I'm going to let you see it on the screens here. It's from 1 Chronicles chapter 17. And I'm going to set the background of this before you just jump into it. Um, God is speaking to David through a prophet. And he's telling David all these great things that are going to happen to him as king in his future. And it's all the promises God made to David really fit into our New Testament as the promise of grace and eternal home in heaven. And so when David finally connects with all that, he gets to talk back to God. And it literally says, I love this translation, it says, Then King David went in and sat in front of the Lord. He sat in front of the Lord. And he said, Lord God, who am I? What is my family and why did you bring me to this point? Then he says, but that was not enough for you, God. In other words, you've given me this great family, this great responsibility of, of Israel and this great personal family. You've also made promises about my future and my family. God, you've treated me like a very important person. You know what Christ did for us on the cross? Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says it this way. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that none of us can boast. You know what Christ did on the cross? He treated you like a very important person. He actually died on the cross to say these words to you. I don't want you to live in eternal hell. I want you to live with me in heaven. For the rest of eternity, I want you to be with me. That is the amazing grace of the New Testament. And it doesn't matter what you've done, just like the prodigal son, just like the apostle Paul who used to bounty hunt Christians. It doesn't matter what you've done. It matters what you do with Christ. If you'll trust Christ, your Lord and Savior today, you will no longer be wretched, lost, and blind. And the spiritual blinders will come off. You'll see things like spiritual things like you've never understood before. Now, some of you may have a head knowledge like Justin was talking about, but you've never actually had a heart knowledge. You've never trusted Christ as your Savior and put your whole life in His hands. That's what we're asking you to do today, to experience amazing grace. So would you do this? Would you bow your heads with me? And as we prepare to sing, uh, Brandon's going to sing a song called Just As I Am, a little different tune for you. But, but as we prepare to sing, I would like to ask you, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, Everyone just be real still for a minute. Your head bowed and eyes closed. Would you consider, are you someone who would, who would want to come to the altar at the end of the service in a minute when we sing? Would you like to come forward and just thank God for the grace you already have? You should, you really should thank God for grace and the salvation that you have. You're no longer wretched, blind, or lost. But if you're here today and you're not sure about that and you are wretched, you, you recognize maybe I am, I'm really lost in all this. I don't understand where I'm going. I don't understand what's happening. I really don't understand who Jesus is. If that's you, the Holy Spirit's talking to you right now. And He wants you to turn to God and just like John Newton, cry out, Lord, have mercy on me. Would you say these words to God? If you're lost today, if you, if you know there's a spiritual blindness, say these words, Dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a lost sinner and I just need help. Would you have mercy on me? Save me from my sins. I acknowledge the cross as the payment of your debt, of my debt, and I trust you 
to be my Lord and Savior. The very best way I know how, I want to become a follower of you in every day of my life. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Now we're going to, we're going to sing just